In the run-up to the first Climate Adaptation Summit in 2021, organized by the Global Center on Adaptation, ECDPM wants to learn more about this strategy to tackle climate change. Simply put, climate adaptation means adjusting life to a changing climate. Throughout the series, which features episodes in both English and French, we will talk about how adaptation can build better food systems or how it can be a means to peace building. We want to present practical ideas that are relevant for Europe and Africa. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello everyone, I'm Paulina Bisotto-Molina and I work on the Sustainable Food Systems team of ECDPM. Welcome to the third episode of our Climate Adaptation Talks, during which we want to learn more about adaptation from different perspectives. Today, I'll be talking to Dr. Caroline Mongera, who is a farming systems and climate change expert based in Nairobi, Kenya. She is the global leader for policies and institutions for climate action at the Alliance of Biodiversity International and SEATS, the International Center for Tropical Agriculture. Kenya is arguably the birthplace of the recent Africa's tech movement. Indeed, it has become widely known as the Silicon Valley of Africa or Savannah Valley. With this in mind, in this podcast, we will talk about how food systems in African countries can adapt to climate change and particularly how we can bridge the gap between digital innovation taking place in labs and other academic centers and the farmers on the ground. Hello, Dr. Caroline. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Hello, and uh, I'm happy to join you today. Thank you for having me. You work on the ground with farmers and policymakers. Could you start by telling us a bit about your adaptation and climate resilience work? My work is focused on how to increase the resilience to climate change of African food systems. And our work now looks at uh, building climate adaptation, improving food and nutrition security, and also improving livelihoods of all the stakeholders in the food system. So COVID-19 has dominated 2020, affecting all sectors, including agriculture. African agriculture and finance ministers made a statement in July promising to build back better the African food systems, stressing the importance of the quality of public spending on food security and agriculture. Has the resilience of food systems moved up on the political agenda? And what does this mean for your work on climate adaptation? And could you maybe name a few of the first concrete measures that African governments are taking to really put their money where their mouth is? So what we have seen is that uh, there has been an increased vision of the leadership and also all the population in Africa in terms of the concerns of how does this affect the supply of food? Reports from the African Development Bank Group is estimating that uh, Africa is going to suffer and could suffer losses because of COVID in 2020 of up to $189 billion. We see that the, most of the countries already set up a, ta a task force at the onset of COVID that was also responsible for resource mobilization and making sure that the uh, targeted responses are also reaching the most vulnerable groups in those countries. So that is already in place in most of the African countries. This has been happening in Ethiopia, in South Africa and Kenya, where this was responsible to raising a lot of resources from the, especially the private sector. These task forces were already uh, sitting at higher level, set up as uh, task forces, for example, at, at the presidential level or at uh, 
levels of uh, uh, governance uh, that are the top, like at prime minister's offices. So this then meant that, that the responses received this uh, uh, heightened uh, visibility and, and uh, priority in those countries. So what is very promising is that Africa is leading the way at the political and strategic levels. And in May of this year, we saw uh, an endorsement by 54 leaders of a new policy recommendation that is outlined in integrated responses to building climate and pandemic resilience in Africa. And what this response is recommending, uh, it includes adapting to securing the food supply for vulnerable populations. How do we strengthen the agricultural value chain, increase access to water and sanitation, which is also in parallel to efforts to improve water governance. And it also talks about the need to invest in resilient infrastructure to create jobs. And therefore, we are very excited because the recommendations will result in a triple win for African countries, increasing food and nutrition security, which remains one of the key challenges, as well as the resilience to climate change and reducing poverty rates in the continent. Wow. Okay. Super interesting. Can you give our listeners some examples of what climate change means in practice for farmers and food systems? What practical innovations have you and your team introduced to strengthen climate resilience of communities? Yeah, from a farmer's uh, perspective, vulnerability to climate change is closely linked to poverty, uh, food insecurity and conflicts. So what we are doing is to secure resilient livelihoods in agriculture. And I can give three examples of innovations that we have introduced to communities. Uh, working with uh, several other partners. One is that we are working to promote climate information services. So we are supporting farmers to get access to high quality, actionable and real time information, which keeps them to manage climate risks and to adapt to climate challenges and, and therefore to be able to enhance their productivity. What, we, what this means is that we facilitate the farmers to have information on seasonal and short term weather forecasts and that then provide them training on what are the crop, livestock, and livelihood options that they need to consider in order to respond to the forecast, what the forecast is saying, so that they can be able to reduce any risks that are going to be occurring within the agricultural season. So that response could be, for example, what varieties they need to plant and what agricultural technologies they need to invest in in order to increase their productivity and reduce climate risk. Uh, second, we are breeding varieties of beans and grasses that are adapted to current and future climate conditions. And also at the same time can also be able to improve nutrition and farmers' livelihoods. I can give an example. We have several uh, high iron beans uh, that is uh, uh, varieties of beans that have been speci specially bred to increase iron and zinc. And at the same time, these varieties have traits that help them to be more suitable to drought conditions. So for example, this year in Kenya, we released uh, during the COVID period, a, a total of four varieties. And uh, I can give an example of one variety that is locally here referred to by the name Nyota, and it's able to mature within 60 to 70 days as compared to local bean varieties, which could take up to 120 days. So this means that they can, then this variety can be able to 
manage the short uh, seasons uh, as a result of climate change. And that example that I can give is that in Kenya, we have been supporting the government and the Ministry of Agriculture to develop what we call the climate risk profiles, which so far now we are completing for the 45 agricultural counties. And the profiles provide an analysis of what are the underlying causes of climate vulnerability and also recommendations for what are the options to build resilience for agricultural value chains in specific uh, counties. So what they include is recommendations to support the inclusion of of women and youth and for them to be able to also increase their benefits in agriculture. And they also highlight what are the gaps in terms of policy, institutional governance and financing for climate smart agriculture. Thank you. We've used the, the, the profiles for our work a lot. They are very, very Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, you have worked a lot on digital solutions as well that can help farmers, but also traders, business owners, policymakers. Can you give us a concrete example of the type of digital tools that you developed and that worked well? I can give uh, several examples, but maybe I could go to two examples that we have seen working uh, very well recently. One was in partnership with the MasterCard Labs and other uh, food system actors, both uh, public and private partnerships. So we developed a digital payment uh, platform which supports access to markets for bean uh, producers. And at the same time, it provides uh, on the same platform agronomy advice, uh, access to credit and climate services. So what this payment platform is able to do is solve what are the key challenges in the food systems. So this is available in a single platform. We've also developed uh, a a tool that is uh, used for real-time monitoring and uh, support, uh, which we call the 5Q approach. And what this does is that it uses the interactive voice response to gather feedback on the adoption adoption of climate smart agriculture practices by farmers. So this is currently uh, being used to monitor how is climate smart agriculture being implemented? What are the lessons that we see across different agroecologies? What's the farmer's experiences? And what are some of the lessons that we can scale? And what are the innovations that also are working well that we can scale to similar agroecologies? And this is especially useful for, for decision makers and policymakers and extension agents are also on the platform to be able to receive feedback on what works in the context that they support. The same approach, the 5Q approach, we are currently using it to monitor the impact of COVID-19 on food systems. And we are getting feedback uh, from producers and giving that information back to decision and policymakers on the responses that are required to support Uh, the food systems during the pandemic. Wow, that's really interesting. So you're really shortening that that gap between policymakers and the the producers and and consumers on the ground. That's right. Shortening that that feedback loop. Very interesting. Yes, that's right. So what are the main obstacles for farmers to use the type of digital tools that you develop? And what is stopping them from taking charge and switching to climate smart agriculture techniques? So I would say that uh, farmers are taking charge and switching, but they still, we see a low adoption rates. 
And one of the reasons is because we still have low awareness of the technologies that work in different contexts because of the weak extension system. So farmers cannot be able to receive that information of those uh, lessons and what technologies could work for different value chains in different agroecologies. A second reason I see is uh, we still have low literacy and we also see low access of mobile phones. So that really affects the use of digital tools, especially among the most vulnerable groups. We need to support digital tools with face-to-face visits to the farms and working with farmers. And that way we can be able to support them in learning and making the adjustments to climate smart agriculture on their farms. What also remains a challenge is that we still have limited access to finance to be able to, for farmers to be able to invest in those uh, climate smart technologies. And especially we see this as a big gap for marginalized uh, groups. What do you think is necessary to ensure climate adaptation actions go through all levels of society, from small farmers all the way to national governments and international companies sourcing their products in countries like Kenya? Do you think a bigger focus on digitalization would help? Yes, uh, digitalization would help because it would uh, fasten the process. What I I feel is that uh, we need a large ecosystem of players in the digital space, all the way from farmers to governments. And also we need to create a transparent environment in terms of uh, how we can uh, promote the use of digital services and how we can limit the risk. And I feel also that kind of uh, transparency will bring also an increase in investments to develop uh, innovative food system solutions, bringing in uh, private and uh, public partnerships. So we see right now there's a lot of innovation that is going on in this agriculture and food system space because it's been uh, like COVID has also really increased our vision on the challenges that are in the food system. So we find that a lot of solutions are already uh, being promoted by several users. And that's why I think it should be, there should be a bigger focus even going forward post-COVID. At the same time, digitalization cannot be the one-stop solution because we also see that there is also, it can also heighten the vulnerabilities. For example, you find that people who are more marginalized, they have the lower digital literacy, even, even generally literacy levels are low among this population and also access to digital infrastructure. So therefore, we see that this could also heighten uh, that uh, divide. And therefore, we could then be able to be promoting only uh, solutions that reach those who are already better off uh, farmers at the expense of the ones that are more vulnerable. So therefore, that's why we say that we have to have an integrated approach. And in some of those cases, then you have to look not only at those solutions that are, can be de- delivered through digitalization, but also look at what works in those contexts. Is it, for example, delivering through community groups or is it uh, other in-person communication models, such as the use of social groups so that you can be able to bridge the divide in terms of access to information and services that are required for these two types of profiles? Finally, your research shows that climate change adaptation needs a bottom-up approach involving local partners to ensure solutions really work. Do you see that this mindset is gaining popularity? 
I see that um, there has been a rise in the popularity of uh, the concept of the bottom-up approach. If you're looking at the issues of sustainability and you want to achieve the longer-term impacts and benefits of investments that are happening, you need to look, go to the context and look at uh, the bottom-up approach because then you can look at what would be able to work, what has been tested, or how can you combine what the solutions that you're bringing to what's happening in as a local context. And sometimes we find that local innovation has gone through several years of um, iterative uh, processes. So a bottom-up approach would help us to understand what is happening at that context, what are some of the most important outcomes for the beneficiaries that you're targeting. And then that would also support to increase adoption of those climate smart technology. Thank you so much for your time and your very valuable insights. I think you gave us a, a good perspective on uh, on the different levels of, of climate adaptation in food systems, both from policy side to really the the field. So um, so thank you for that, and uh, hopefully we can continue our conversation uh, another time and dig even deeper. Thank you so much. Thank you too for having me. It was a pleasure to uh, talk to you. Thank you for listening to our Climate Adaptation Talks. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter at ECDPM to stay up to date on all our latest papers, blogs and news on EU-Africa cooperation. See you next time.